1: As we've alluded to on our other shows, this offseason, our Crack Rackets team attempted to speak with every Power Five men's and women's head coach employed throughout the college tennis world. We asked each of them about their team's respective 2021 seasons and what we should expect from them here in 2022. Of course, we also offered them a platform to share their thoughts on some of the big picture topics in college tennis. It is a fantastic series that our team is is ecstatic to finally start sharing with the broader college tennis community over the next six weeks. Fans can expect no fewer than 10 episodes a week to be posted on this feed. A huge shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support with this series. Remember, go to tennis-point.com right now. Use that promo code CR15 to express your thanks. With all of that said, we're ready to get to today's episode. So Westoff, hit those credits. Let's start today's show. Joining us on the podcast today for the first time is a man you may remember best as the 2003 SEC Player of the Year. Of course, he was top 100 in both singles and doubles on the ATP Pro Circuit. Nowadays, he's the head coach of the Auburn men's tennis team. Welcome to the show, Coach Bobby Reynolds. Coach, how are you doing this morning?
0: Great. Thanks for having me. It's a uh, it's a pleasure to be on here and as you speak about some of those accolades I seem like so long ago. So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, they were right in my strike zone as a tennis fan, you know. It was really the Bobby Reynolds era is what I refer to my fandom as. So, it's great to finally get the chance to speak to you, pick your brains. I know we've got a lot of things to get into, but I have to ask right away because this is, I, I'm convinced if you made a college uh, tennis Dosakis commercial, the most interesting man would be Scott Brown. What's your best Scott Brown story? Everyone's got one.
0: Oh man. I, I mean, I, you know what? It's not just one story because it was every single car trip. I mean, we joke about it. All of our us teammates and back then he was really into playing the guitar and just like any type of heavy metal music. And, you know, again, it was kind of before, let's say the iPads and the, and, yeah. you know, the music. So, you know, it's really just from the radio. And, and Scott would go three, four, five hour trips, honestly, just gaze out the window and play an air, gu- air guitar the entire ride, you know? And like about halfway through, you'd like look at him and be like, Scott, are you okay? And he'd just look at you with kind of a blank stare and he'd be like, yeah, I'm good. And then he would just go back to going back in his own little world. But, uh, what a great teammate, and then obviously you know what he's done up in Virginia and through college tennis. I mean, he's a he's a great coach and a great person. I do
1: think he'd be the most interesting man in college tennis, like no doubt. Yeah.
0: Yes, no (laughs) (laughs) doubt. Yeah, and
1: so that's where we're starting today's podcast. It's only going to get better from here. But the reason I bring that up, obviously, is, look, you were a successful pro tennis player. You were a successful college tennis player. And obviously, tennis has been a big part of your life. But I'm curious, after all the pro success you had, I'm sure there were other opportunities. What was it about college tennis that drew you back to the sport that has you now, again, beginning, what, year five, year six at the Helmet Auburn?
0: Yeah, you know, um, you say that yes and no. You know, obviously after I finished uh, playing on tour, I had one more year left at, at Vanderbilt that I needed to go back and finish my degree. Um, so that obviously gave me some time to think about, you know, what I want to do, you know, post uh, player. And uh, it, it really was, I was able to go back up and hit with the Vandy team um, while I was in school and just, you know, again, be back in that college scenario um, and it kind of, you know, gave me butterflies again. Um, and at the time, like I said, we were living in Atlanta. My wife was working there. So I didn't know if it was going to be a real opportunity or a possibility, um, because she was a dentist and she was already established. Um, but it was, you know, right when I, uh, finished my Vanderbilt degree and I got a call from John Roddick and, you know, I still remember exactly where I was sitting in the kitchen and my wife was, you know, on the other side of the kitchen and she was kind of listening to what I was saying. And i said oklahoma and she looked at me and she said no chance and she shook her head right (laughs) and then what two weeks later we're packing up the house and we're moving out to norman so um you know i just i I love the team aspect of it it really Mm -hmm. is i mean you battle so long and so hard through junior tennis to come to a time where you know you get to play for something greater than yourself Mm -hmm. um obviously you need this the individual success but it's even more magnified because of the fact that you're playing, you know, for your team more than anything. Um, and then, obviously, if you have the ability to go play after, it's like going back to the grind again. Yeah. Um, so that's really, you know, what, what inspired me to kind of get back into this and, and do this, hopefully, as a, as a career.
1: Yeah. Um, did you realize the major in business? When did you realize that was going to be the most valuable thing in your background to manage that four and a half? Like I didn't realize all of you had coaches were mathematicians until this year.
0: You know, it's that's one of the things that I have to say I was uh, I was a little naive and, and <laughs> kind of my eyes were opened really fast, um, especially here at Auburn and and figuring out which different schools have um, mm-hmm. advantages here and there and which ones have disadvantages and knowing that those four and a half scholarships at one school look more like eight and then mm-hmm. the other ones look at straight at four and a half. So um, you know, that that's part of the game. That's you know, every every school has you know, the things that that us coaches try to sell and and, uh, share with the prospective student-athletes. And, uh, yeah, and then it's just tinkering and, and maneuvering those numbers, like you said, to make it, to stretch it as far as you can.
1: Yeah, that's half the fun of the game. And obviously, when you look at your team last year, it felt like it was a particularly young team. And I'm curious for you guys even before we get into how the season played out, talking to other SEC men's coaches, they talk about how valuable the hidden dual matches you all were able to play were. And I'm curious if you also found value in that because you know, one of the things I've been exploring with all these Power 5 coaches is what is the role of the fall season? Is it for the individuals or is it to best prepare for the spring? talking to so many sec men's coaches it sounds like they felt that those hidden duels were actually just a sneaky excellent way to prepare for the year i'm curious what you felt about that
0: yeah no i mean i think it's twofold right obviously mm-hmm. it's a preparation and it's as you said you know getting ready for the spring um when you have young guys that don't quite understand um how your heartbeat basically goes you know sure. to one 160 right away when you walked <laughs> yeah. out on the court for a dual match compared to you know, when you're out there playing a tournament, right? So I think it was a huge advantage to, to us, to our conference. Um, and it showed at the end of the year of, of, again, putting six, eight, 10 players out on a court at the same time, even though if it's not a dual match, you have that feel, you know, you play doubles, you go straight into singles. Um, so it gave our guys, you know, again, an understanding of what, you know, what the spring would look like. I think for us, and, and like you said, being a young team, it allowed us to play, uh, you know, the Floridas and some of those schools where we might go in there and we're a little nervous, obviously, because of, you know, you're playing Florida um, and and on the players on the team and everything that goes into it. So being able to play them in the fall and, and seeing some of these teams, you know, that are top 10 in the country, it kind of allowed us to to have find some success at different positions and kind of almost feel like, hey, you know what? Like, Yeah, they still are a really good team, you know, Mm -hmm. but we're able to compete with them. They're not that far away from where we think in our mind they are. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that was very beneficial to us, you know, particularly.
1: Do you think moving forward, I'm just curious what you view the role of the fall as, because obviously there are constantly discussions, when should the NCAA individuals be held? And I do think there's something to the idea of, well, let's have the fall be individuals. Let's have the spring be team. Or even if you talk to coach Goffey over at South Carolina, he says, have the fall be team, have the spring be individuals, which I suppose is a complete different picture whatsoever. But, do you worry at all playing those hidden duels that you're typecasting players on your roster? You know, you're a five, you're a six, that's what you're doing. What, you know, or do you, do you like the, do you like the individual element of the fall? I suppose I'm asking.
0: Yeah, I think it gives, um, I think the individual side of it, you know, playing tournaments and, and that in the fall gives those four, five, six guys that might start getting hot. Um, the ability to play, you know, a one or two from a different school. If you, you know, progress far enough in the draw, So that's obviously the advantage of playing those tournaments. I think it's really hard on the student athlete if you ask them, um, which I don't agree with, because at the end of the day, hey, you know, the goal of the fall is to play as many matches as you can, and us as coaches to take all of that data that we've learned and seen in those matches and continually to help progress them as players. But I think it's very hard across the board. You, You know, my my team and even other teams where you know you lose your first match you got to play another one, right? You kind of feed back in. You might lose that match, you know, close. Then you still got to play two more singles. And, and by the end of the week, you feel like you just absolutely got beaten down. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, are you losing confidence that way just because of that system? Um, but yeah, and then again, obviously you talk about, you know, putting a player at a certain position. And we've had that, you know, mm-hmm. this fall, last fall, guys coming into the office and saying, well, I thought I was going to be at four, but you put me at six, you know? And then it's really just about, have an open conversation with those guys you know especially in the sec there's not a lot of difference between one and six mm-hmm. and what i tell my guys other than the one guy gives you a little bit less free points than the two guys and the three guy than the four guy on down to the six guy you know but at the end of the day you know you're looking at a guy at number six that's a 13-4 utr like mm-hmm. you're going to get a good competition no matter where you play um so, yeah, it'll be interesting, you know, to see obviously, I'm not one of the uh, more veteran coaches yeah. um, in in tennis. Um so you know, the good and the bad, I can't really say. Um, sure. I just obviously, it's what I'm used to is having you know the team and then the individual. I think it makes it challenging bringing in new guys or a guy that had a really good senior year that doesn't get that opportunity mm-hmm. um, to play in the NCAA because of it being in the fall. So I think there's just obviously some, Obviously, some major pros and cons, um, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, we have to do what's best for for our sport and, you know, getting it out to the public and obviously not just in college, but even at the you know the next level. So, whatever that is. You know, we have to get our – the coaches have to get our heads together and, and figure out what is the best, you know, for the next 20, 25 years.
1: Yeah. No, it's good. It feels like you're one of the rare swing voters where it's like, yeah, I'm an undecided. Like, you you, you know, you talk to all of these coaches. I feel like I could get 49.9% of them to agree on anything. I will never get 50. Not ever will yeah. I get 50%. And, no, it is – so for me, it's because you're right. If you do it in the fall – only so many athletic departments would sponsor a senior to come back and play an extra event, right? And just, like, how feasible is that? That said, we talk about the growth of the game, and that's been something I've wanted to discuss with all of you coaches because this is your livelihood. You guys, What I've learned is you guys think about, the, you know, again, the passion, the intelligence you guys have about this. It's what's made this series so fun. I just feel like playing the NCAA individuals at the second week of the U.S. Open— that's the goal. Like that would be to me the perfect platform for college tennis to shine. And does it put added value on the ITA summer circuit? Maybe. Do you have to make it rolling ranking so that it's a 12-month ranking system and as seniors graduate that's when they drop out. You don't just reset at the end of the year. Maybe. But you talk about again what's better for the game 20 to 25 years? Like I do I don't I I just don't know if this 3-week model is best for the game moving forward
0: yeah um yeah like, like you said I think you can flip the coin and get it each way um sure. you know I always go back and you have a guy you know like this year like Griffiths and people say oh well, mm-hmm. players are so tired by the end of the spring and at the end of the team tournament but like I mean I'd be interested and you probably know this information probably better than I do is going back in you know, the last 20-25 years of how many guys actually went far in the team competition and then were still able to go far in the individual con- um, competition you know mm-hmm. I go back to my my last year in college and you know you had illinois win right mm-hmm. the, t- the team title and then you had uh the doubles team of ram and wilson win the doubles mm-hmm. and you had Amir Delic win the singles and so you can't say at that point that they're so tired that you know sure. um that it's detrimental to them um but yes is it over is the team championship then overshadow the individuals which is obviously a huge accomplishment um in our sport and that's what we have to figure out is is how can we maximize on both of those mm-hmm. uh, platforms
1: yeah no and obviously speaking of the ncaa individual term this is how we can segue back into your 2021 season it's so interesting because doing this exercise uh, and uh, you know obviously you guys end up with the ncaa finalists Tad and finn uh in doubles and uh, we'll, we'll talk about that match in a little bit but talking to so many coaches and seeing their statistics from the years typically it's seven to ten doubles teams played throughout the course of the season you played 4 and only you know and only 3 of them played more than one match together did something click in the fall where you're just like i like these teams are you a system guy that that is
0: a on the lower side yeah you know i think when we look at our players individually you know first thing is you know what's where's their doubles game rank you know amongst the team right so we sure. kind of put them in order that way you know in our heads then it's always like which, you know, can he play the do side or is he an ad court guy or Mm -hmm. is he literally 50-50? We can put him anywhere. Um, and then it's a lot about, you know, is there, there's gotta be a leader on the, on the doubles team and there's gotta be a follower. Mm -hmm. Um, so you put that in there. So yeah, you're throwing a bunch of different things together to ultimately try and put your best three matchups together. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not one to really want to change and move and and you know mix up doubles pairings unless you know it is just detrimental for a couple weeks in a row sure um you know i'm more about hey let's go back and figure out why this is you know why we're not being successful at maybe each individual individual position or collectively um so yeah i mean that's you know i think it helped like i said you know we go back to the um dual matches in the fall you know mm-hmm. we got to see a lot of that right there and kind of you know which guys play well together and and then we just kind of held it together um and had a lot of success to start off the year so you know i think we just rode that way for a long time you know we weren't as successful towards the back end of our you know sec schedule um you know well, we played some tough teams towards the end of the year too so you know i think that goes hand in hand um but yeah you know i, I like i said i think it's a lot of that we're all throwing all those things together in a bucket You know, and and trying to mold together what we can um, and then come out with the best three or four pairings.
1: Are you – has the role of the serve and volley changed in doubles in college tennis since obviously you've played? And uh, how do you emphasize – I like asking, you know, I'm going to nerd out here a little bit because obviously I had coaches growing up. It was all about serve and volley. First serve, second serve, you got to get that skill into your game. Obviously, moving forward is always going to be the key in doubles but do you push the serve and volley on your players perhaps as much as it was pushed on you back in the day?
0: No, not even close because <laughs> yeah. you know what I feel like, I feel like I coach a lot like I, I was as a player okay. um, and, and I was not serving and involved in, you know, mm-hmm. like I played a lot with Rajiv Ram, you know, <laughs> when I was out on tour and he'll tell you, he said, Hey man, stay back, you know, mm-hmm. hit that serve. I'm going to get what I can at the net and I want you to rip a forehand. <laughs> um, and that's kind of how we played and how we are successful. So, you know, I like it, obviously, when um, I have guys that can serve in volley and feel comfortable and understand, you know, the first serve percentages and, and you know, the volley and what it should look like, point in, point out. Um, but in today's game with how hard guys are hitting and the, and the technology of the string and the racket, it's just so easy now to get the ball below the level of the net. And then all of a sudden you go from being in an offense position to a defense position very quickly. Um, so I'm more of the one, hey, look, you know, at different times, different scenarios, different points, you gotta you gotta try and come forward because ultimately percentage show the guys that control the net the most are gonna be percentage wise, you know, the winner more often than not. So I think for me it's more scenarios, you know, or you know, utilizing the I serve or or some of those things where you can then serve and volley, but maybe the server's not hitting the first volley.
1: Mm -hmm. yeah no it's fascinating to see and obviously you had a duo click in Tad and Finn and at the end of the season they play such extraordinary tennis did you see that run coming from them was there a week I mean obviously you're in Orlando it's this mecca of tennis and you're just in you know in in, in, you're just fully surrounded um, by all aspects of the sport did you see that run coming from them
0: Honestly, no. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I told and I told them this. You yeah. know, not obviously right then. Those guys throughout the entire year can beat anybody on any given day. Sure. You know, they grew up together um over in England. They're like brothers, mm-hmm. you know. When the brothers aren't fighting, they can beat anybody. Yeah. When they are having a little bit of, you know, brotherly love problems, yeah. they can lose to anybody. <laughs> you know, and that's really what it was as a coach, and coaching staff is how can we get them to be comfortable with themselves comfortable about the situation and just allow their tennis to play um and and that's where you know we talk go back and talk about leaders and followers and stuff like that um you know the brotherly love one guy tries to be the leader and then the other guy doesn't really want to follow and then the next match the other guy tries to lead and the other guy doesn't want to follow so um but they clicked you know and um I, i say when when especially finn when he gets locked in I mean, he can he can play doubles with anybody in the world. That's how just easy he makes it look. Um, and then you put somebody like Tad, you know, as his partner and is able to bomb the lefty serve and rip some, some ground strokes and, and maybe not have to be as crafty at the net, but play more power tennis. And, and that's really what the great combination was that week in Orlando. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, no, they played so, so well. And you could tell they got better with every match. And just, yeah, it was... It, it was really fun to watch them play. And obviously, look, what happened in the final on that match point, it's between them and the tennis gods. We'll never know the official answer to what happened there. But for your team, you know, after a 7-15 and season where I want to get into the nuances of that in a second, but after a 7-15 season that I'm sure your guys were not satisfied with, to have that team make the NCAA finals, what does that do for your program this offseason?
0: Yeah, I think it was two things. You know, obviously, their success as a doubles team, but also being able to have, you know, Tad and Finn and Tyler, you know, be there the entire, or you know, three, four days prior to the tournament starting, watching, you know, the quarters, the semis, the team finals, and seeing a lot of the the things that us coaches stress, you know, on the court when we're talking about enthusiasm and the fight and, you know, every single point. And it almost opened their eyes, and they came back, you know, at some of the dinners, and we're like, Ah, I understand what you guys are talking about, you know, now because we've been able to see it ourselves Mm -hmm. in some of these teams. And then the same thing in the singles. I mean, they were, they were students of the game for about 10 days. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was huge for them individually, but also to bring that back to the team and say, Hey, look, you know, we witnessed it. We, you know, we saw it. We understand what the coaches are talking about. This is what we have to do to make that next jump as a team. Um, and then from their individual success on the doubles court, I mean, you're seeing it this year in the fall and Tad being ranked, you know, 56 in singles. Mm-hmm. You know, he's never had that single success. And and it, it comes from that doubles, you know? They were able to kind of more believe in themselves. You know, all the things that the coaches have been saying, you can play with anybody, you know, when you do X, Y, and Z and you play the percentages, you can play with anybody in the country, you know? And they will almost be like, yeah, you know, okay. <laughs> But that success in the doubles, you know, springboard into the summer for them and then obviously into the fall. So um, I'm always a big believer hey, I don't care if it's singles, you know, giving you success into the doubles or the doubles giving you success into the singles, you know, winning matches, period, um, against top level, especially of college and even at the pro level, that's going to give you success regardless of what it is. Mm
1: -hmm. And when you look at your team last season, again, the 7 and 15 headline, I'm sure that your guys weren't satisfied. But when you actually look into those wins... You know, are you know, one in five in four three matches. You guys are awfully close at the finish line in so many of those battles. And I think even perhaps more notably, you only lost four oh twice. Like even in the matches you're losing, you're not getting blown out. Your guys are competing. And you look at the statistics in singles across the board again, the majority of your guys finishing five hundred right near that mark as well. What fight did you see from your team? What growth did you see from your team, you know, throughout the course of what I'm sure was a turbulent season?
0: Yeah, it was, you know, there was, like you said, there were so many team match points and literally, you know, you look back at the rankings now and any one of those matches would have probably given us enough points to be in the tournament as a team. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, yes, that is, you know, looking back, we had a tough schedule, you know, I I scheduled a tough schedule, obviously, you know, when they were talking about the no 500 rule and some of those things um and I think again looking back I think our team has grown from it even though we were not successful last year we put ourselves in a chance you know we lost 4-3 to Georgia to Texas A&M to Tennessee we had match points against Tulane you know some of those teams that were very very strong and again our guys started to understand and believe in themselves um Mm -hmm. It happened to come down to usually the same person, uh, you know, two or three matches. And, you know, you feel for him because he wants it so badly, almost too much, um, that the pressure overcomes him. Um, But it's going to make him better in the end, you know. And we were a very, very young team led by a very, very young captain in Tyler Stice. Basically, you know, a freshman, let's call it, you know, his second year, if you don't count COVID as his first year. Um, and he is on and off the court. He is the leader, you know, he is the bulldog. He is the guy that's going to be chomping at your ankles, whether he's up, whether he's down, whether it's hot. I mean, he just, he's coming at you. Um, and I think that trickles on down, you know, to the rest of the guys on the team. And, um, I'm excited for even this year coming up because again, we are still young. You know, Mm -hmm. we have one senior, we have one junior, we have a bunch of sophomores and we have some freshmen. So, you know, this team, um, it's taken a while, you know, <laughs> I'll be the first to, to admit, you know, as a coach coming from playing college tennis and then on the tour, you think it's going to be a lot easier to build a team and have a successful team than it has. Um, but our biggest, our biggest challenge over the last four or five years has been the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and now we can definitely say when I walk into that locker room, you know, it's a different culture. It's a different belief. It's a different um, goal setting for, mm-hmm. for all of them, you know, in college and post-college. Mm -hmm.
1: No, that's so great to hear. And, you know, with that in mind, I think this is year six, correct? Sixth year at the helm Mm -hmm. for you now. So these are your guys. You recruited all of them. They are playing at Auburn because head coach Bobby Reynolds wanted them to be on this team and it's so interesting to hear you talk about the 500 rule because that's something i have wanted to explore as well last year they waived the 500 rule and as such you mentioned it you're able to schedule usf you're able to schedule georgia tech you're able to schedule all of these different matches on top of an sec schedule that obviously is going to put your team in a position to compete against the best of the best in college tennis and so with that in mind as you're trying to establish a culture i'm curious would you be fine with the 500 rule going away permanently like did did you, the growth you saw from your guys last season, isn't that worth some of the lumps you may have taken?
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a rule that obviously that they they have for across the board of NCAA. And yeah. it's a rule that I don't, uh, I don't think is beneficial to the student athlete. Mm-hmm. You know, one, a lot of our student athletes don't like to play double headers in our mm-hmm. sport. You know, you're going to have to do it in order to a lot of times make postseason if you're a team between 25 and 40. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as a coaching staff, you're probably not going to pick the the double headers that are going to be the most challenging either, you know, mm-hmm. because, again, you're, you're going in for that second match and you might have guys that are playing twice. And, you know, you have to find those teams. Um, and then I don't think it's good for the other teams, you know, that are coming in. Obviously, they get an opportunity to play, let's say, a Power Five or, you know, some other teams that maybe aren't in their conference. But at the end of the day, I don't think they are growing. Those teams or those players are growing from the opportunity to play our guys. It's just – almost two totally different levels. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, I mean, I I think that, you know, for our sport and and for the future and to really, um, we have guys from now all over the world, you Mm -hmm. know, literally all over the world, you know, and they want to have professional, a lot of them have professional tennis aspirations. So how can we maximize and, and give them the best chance to come over use the college system as a platform and a stepping stone so that they can go play professional tennis um, and that's literally playing the best competition week in, week out, because that's going to make you individually. And as a team, you're going to have to figure it out, right? If you, if you're not having success, then you're going to have to look yourself in the mirror and figure out how, you know, do I need to change my game in order to have success? Um, and that only comes, like I said, week in, week out being pushed, you know, to the wall.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree with you. And with that said, you look at it this fall and, you know, you lose Tim, you lose Tom, you lose Diego. But Jan's back, Max is back, Spencer's back, Tad's back, Finn's back, Tyler's back. As we mentioned, it's a young team that you got your hands on and you got to work with this fall. I know restrictions were less so for the SEC last year than they were this year but what growth have you seen from your guys here as we prepare for 2022 and just how nice was it for you to have a normal fallback with them
0: yeah no it was it's great to have them on the court it's great that we don't have to jump through all those red tape you know of COVID this and COVID that and how we're going to travel and all those things that I think kept all of us coaches up at night, um, battling, you know, in our head. But uh, you know, I think the biggest thing is obviously we had success at, at our regional, hosting that regional at home, um, and and having guys have a lot of success, and then being able to go out to fall nationals with Tad. Um, but I think even more than that, this is the first time in you know my career as the coach here is that we're having players play, you know, post our uh, eight weeks, our our twenty hour weeks. Um, you know, we had five guys go up and play the PTT in Atlanta um you know we had another two play the weekend after you know we have guys that want to play you know whereas before like i said that culture before was oh you know we'll put in a little bit of work for the eight weeks and then you know we'll kind of rest on our laurels going through thanksgiving and christmas break and we'll see how the season goes um these guys are hungry you know and these guys want to want to put a a name and and put auburn out on the map um so that's what probably the most exciting that from the fall obviously getting to work with them on the court, but then obviously the, the transition that it's ha- that it's having um, even when we're not able to be on the court with them. Mm-hmm.
1: And with that in mind, obviously you are someone who went from college to the pro ranks. You understand the commitment it takes, you know, throughout the course of your college career to try and make that transition. With that in mind, I know it's another NCAA edict, but perhaps no one can better speak to this than you. Is the eight-hour rule, the 25 competitive dates – is that enough to reflect the modern physical demands in tennis? Or is that a a rule that you would like to see reexamined? And not to throw another part of this question at you, but I think this anecdote is particularly powerful. You know, how frequently are you put in a position where guys are coming to you and saying, Coach, can you come work with me for an hour? And you just have to say, I can't. Like, you've hit your four.
0: Yeah, that's probably, you know, the last one you said is probably the most frustrating, is when you have players that really, really, really want to come out they're out there hitting serves for the extra hour. They're out hitting you know, together. They want you to look at something where they want you to continue to help work them. they have some time and they're not able to do it. right? And you literally have to look at them and say, I'm sorry, we're over the hours or we're only in the eight hours and we can only use this hour a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that really takes a huge chunk out of the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, if, if I had to give and take a little bit, maybe not increase the 25 dates, but maybe allow us to have more 20 hours because, you know, you arrive at school in the middle of August and we really don't start with them until the middle of September. You got Mm -hmm. eight weeks and then you go back into nothing for the next, what, seven, eight weeks leading up to your season. So it's kind of like a tease in almost, you know, (laughs) like, like guys are like sitting there, they're ready to go. They're ready to practice. They're ready to be together as a team and they only get eight hours. So, um, like I said, if it was a, yeah, ultimately I would love to be able to get more in the, in the fall. Um, you know maybe up to 28 or 30 so those guys can play um, but also the 20 hours like you said I mean or even the over 20 hours yeah Um. it's just it, it really needs to be you know and I know it's a lot of work on the compliance but almost more vetted individually at each school mm-hmm. understanding you know is the coach mandating it or is the co- are the players really wanting to get better and that's why they came to to college you know because that's especially international guys, you know, they say, Hey, we don't have this system over here to play, to go to school and to compete. But then they get here and they're like, Oh, what do you mean? We can't practice. What do you mean? We we can only do one hour today. Like, and that's, that's probably, that's a hard thing for them.
1: You would think in the modern era there's an internet form that could be filled out by your players that say, like, no, 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 no. I mean it. Like, this is me. Like, I'm telling you I would like an hour of coaching from Bobby Reynolds. And it would be like, okay, yeah, like, that's fine. You'd, you'd think that would be feasible now. But, again, that's one of my pet peeves as well. It's just it, No, and you know what? We
0: actually – we do have that. But do you know what the thing is? Is like when I go in back and was playing – whatever, early two thousands. Yeah. I don't, I didn't know my sport administrator. I didn't know my <laughs> compliance. I didn't know anybody. I didn't even know there were people working over on, you know, through athletics <laughs> to help us out. We just, yeah, we show up, we have a tennis coach and that's it. Um, You know, compliance knows all of our guys, you know, yeah. so, you know, they have candid conversations with them all the time about, you know, are we going over the 20 hours and all the different checks and balances that we have. So yes, it is very easy, you know, to find that piece of paper, which is a voluntary workout. We're allowed to do it after finals, and we're allowed yeah. to do it in the summer. So why can't we do it throughout the entire year if that's what they want?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, I agree with you. And you mentioned it. The fact that it's like, hey, three weeks off before the dual match season starts. It's like, who is that for? That helps no one. And so, uh, yeah, it, it is fascinating. Again, there are just little things you would like to see. But, you know, talking, you know, we've talked about the returners. I want to talk about some of the newcomers as well. And obviously right now, I know this fall you had Raul, who comes over from New Mexico. You bring in uh, Will as well freshmen from England from a recruiting standpoint I am curious and again I've been asking all these coaches this because I think this is the question right now How do you balance the the two uh, perspectives of, A, you want to bring in freshmen who you're going to have four years with, establish in your program, build this culture, versus B, knowing right now with the five years of high school graduates, hey, if I look at the transfer portal, I can find a five, I can find a six. How do you balance those two things in shaping your roster?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think for us, you know, obviously it's, you know, uh, I would say, you know, when I look at the transfers versus the normals, you hit it on the head, you know, it depends on how many years. Are you looking to kind of fill one spot, you know, and make your team better for that next year? Or are you really trying to develop um, for the long haul, you know? And, you know, with us getting Jan as a transfer and getting Raul as a transfer, you know, we needed those. We needed some spots filled. We needed some some uh, more senior people um, on our team, uh, like I said, because of culture, you know, and understanding the college system and, and hopefully bringing something to our team from their team. Sure. Um, you know the positives. So, you know that's been huge for us. Um, but yes, also you know continuing to to, you know, come from the bottom, you know, from the foundation, grass level, where we have freshmen coming in that we know we're going to be there for four years. You know, we're not so worried maybe about the first year success of them, but how we continuing to um mold them and make them you know better players, and obviously working on all the weaknesses and everything that we do to to make them better for the third and fourth year and then beyond. Um, so it is, it's a, it's a, I would say it's a balancing act, you know, and mm-hmm. you see a lot of the schools that are, are fine, you know, going and taking a bunch of grad transfers and just taking transfers and they're having a lot of success. Um, that goes more back into, I would say, you know, what we talked about at the beginning, each school has different opportunities and different <clears throat> advantages. So they might be able to attract those grad school applicants a lot better than, you know, we are here in Auburn. So it's just, managing the four and a half when does it come available what you know what do you have and you know how you know can you entice that other guy on the transfer portal Mm -hmm. um but then you also always have a lot of times you have to ask yourself why is he on the transfer portal yeah you know and that's something again that's hard to to kind of figure out um in such a short amount of time because they're on there you got maybe one or two conversations and then they're making the decision so you know it is uh it's nerve-wracking you know with that kind of stuff but uh you know, we've been happy with both of our guys that we've gotten great guys, great character, um, mm-hmm. great work ethic.
1: Mm-hmm. And I assume again, when you look at the team, big fall, everyone. You know, I assume some of them were able to go play, as you mentioned, pro events, and some were able to uh, play in the in the college national events. It's got to be nice to see. You know, again, the success your team was having this fall, and just you know, how are you feeling headed into January?
0: Yeah, you know, we have. I joke with the guys I and mean, when we, I feel like we can interchange, you know, six or seven or eight guys, you know, so it's a good problem and it's a bad problem, you know, and I know, you know, they're going to look at me and be like, well, why am I not playing today? I'm like, well, you know, it's a tough question, but, uh, <laughs> which is a good problem. Like I said, we're very deep, you know, and we've never mm-hmm. had that, uh, benefit in, in the past couple of years. So, you know, whether it guys that are maybe get sick or nicked up or, you know, we really are happy with where we are as a team, um, going into the spring season they understand, you know, and I told them, and that was, you know, kind of our big talk at the end of the fall was you guys got to keep pushing because, you know, we come out of the gates and we got a tough schedule, you know, like, you know, we play old dominion on the road, you know, mm-hmm. and some people look at me and say, well, why would you go to old dominion on the road? You know, but like if you want to be a top 25 team, you know, like I think we, we can be, and we are, you got to be able to play on the road and show up and, and, you know, compete against some tough teams in, in hostile situations you know yeah it's a lot easier just to always be at home and have all the teams come to you and Mm -hmm. you know you can have success that way but again are you you know is the team growing are the players growing individually with that type of situation so you know the old dominion you know in the second week and then we go straight into indiana and wisconsin you know coming to us and then you know we go into the georgia tech and mtsu straight into blue gray and then the conference so um you know our guys are ready i'm excited to to get them back and um I kind of go stir crazy during this time because it's like, (laughs) all right, I got too much time on my hand. I, you know, I should be, I should be on the court with them, but uh, it's a good break for them. All of them went home. So um, Mm -hmm. it'll be good to have them back soon.
1: One of these years I'm getting down to blue gray because I see it on the schedule every year. And uh, who's coming this year. I want to say it's usually like a Dartmouth or what, you know, there's an Ivy league. There's a big, you know, really good non-power five school. It's always a good mix.
0: Yeah, this year, uh, so it's us, Alabama, I know I'm going to forget somebody, Arizona, MTSU, okay. Nebraska, Princeton. That is a good mix, though. And I can't remember, like I said, I, there's eight, but I can't remember yeah. the other ones yeah. off the top of my head. So, um, yeah, it's tough. You know, it's It is. It is a, it's a very, very grueling schedule mm-hmm. because you're playing a dual match in the morning, you finish in the afternoon with the doubles, then you come back the next day and you play the singles of that dual yeah. match, and then you got to have another dual match. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're playing. What did I say? Probably eight teams that are all within the top fifty. Yeah, so it's, it's you know, fun when you. It's fun, um, yeah. and the guys love it because mm-hmm. they do an unbelievable job of putting us with host families, and the host families come out and cheer for the teams, and like it is just a uh, community event that is obviously the history's been there forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but our guys enjoy it every single time we go.
1: Yeah, no, those are one of those hidden gems you find throughout the college tennis season. All right, with that in mind, let's have some fun down the home stretch here. I've got some big picture, or, you know, some some little adjustments. I suppose we've hit some of the big picture stuff already. Before I do that, I've given every coach this opportunity, and this is our first time chatting, and I'm reserving the right to bring you back on to talk about all things Bobby Reynolds, but, you know, we'll do that a different time, I suppose. Um, I am curious, you know, again, uh, looking uh, for, obviously what you guys are building at auburn and i've wanted to give every coach this opportunity because so many of our listeners players parents they haven't heard from you give me the pitch why should i come down to auburn why should i be a tiger
0: yeah i mean i think this place is this place is special auburn Mm -hmm. special you know um i grew up outside of atlanta and didn't really know that much about auburn obviously a very international team you know with eric in the years past so we would only kind of come pop in and and play them you know once every other year um but the, the campus, the, the, the importance on athletics, the resources, I mean, it is a, a small hidden gem here um, just outside of Atlanta. And it's growing, obviously, probably more than I would like um, as a city because um, I do like that small town feel. But um, it, it's a place where guys can come and they can train and, and a place where you can. Um, be all year round. Um, And and that's what we're trying to attract. We're trying to attract guys that, again, want to play professional, want to look at school for an all year um, training place. And hopefully, you know, being able to learn stuff from Chris and myself um, that can help take them to the next level. So. Um, people told me when I first got here, you know, you can't recruit Americans here. You can't recruit Americans to Auburn, you know, and we're slowly showing, you know, everybody, the naysayers that, um, it's able to be done and we will continue to do it along with the international guys. So, um, it's exciting.
1: Yeah. No, I agree with you. Definitely. We are keeping the eye on the tigers this season. All right. With that said, let's talk college tennis format. Early two thousands, you're playing ad score and you're playing pro sets to eight and doubles. Has the no ad scoring format grown on you?
0: Yeah, I think I like the no ad format. I really do. Um, oh, I think it separates it separates the mentally tough from maybe the not so mentally tough. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes you as a player um, know exactly what you want to do when you step up to the line, whether you're serving or receiving. Um, and I can't tell you how many conversations we have with our players that they're like, oh, I lost, you know four out of four with no ad points and you're like no you were up 40 15 that game so what happened at 40 15 and 40 30 and then you know dukes mm-hmm. so you know it really is obviously it's a transition for the players coming in from juniors um to you know their first semester first year but i think it is great it, it makes you so much stronger and what you can take from it if you learn and and you figure out you know your dna is going to help you you know when you get back into the deuces and the ad games
1: mm-hmm. no i it, 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 and there's the sudden death aspect as well that I think from a fan perspective, you enjoy so much. And obviously the doubles point, how you have any hair left on your head, bravo to you because it's Russian roulette. roulette. It's literally a rat race. It's you know 40 minutes. Every point matters. The energy is so incredible to me. It's the best property, most entertaining property across all levels of tennis. That said, there's then a lull. There's no doubt about that. That hour-long, you know, whether it's the first sets in singles or just really, you know, the the five-minute break in between, I had a coach phrase it to me as, you're giving fans an excuse to leave the match. And that was interesting framing to me. And I'm curious if you feel that law and if you're concerned about it at all for college tennis's growth.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's, you know, obviously as coaches, we've— That it around, you know, and yeah. some people will say, "Well, let's play the singles first and then leave the doubles to the end, and just think about the excitement." It is really tough. I think it's tough from the player standpoint. I think it's tough from the fans. I think it's really tough on the, you know, trying to get our sport on um, TV and you know everything else to promote our sport of how we go about right. The doubles, the five-minute break, going into the singles, six courts on the men's side, playing it out even after the match is done. Like, there's a lot of things that fans come up to you afterward and they're like, "Well." you won 4-1, but why'd you keep playing? You know, like <laughs> matches over. Um, so yeah, that is what I guess makes our sport unique and, and kind of crazy at the same time. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how to really change it. You know, I think when they've done the best they can of going, no ad mm-hmm. keeping the singles shorter, um, without losing the integrity of why players want to come and play college tennis. Um, uh, I don't think we can go back to the eight games of doubles and, the the ad scoring and two out of three sets with ad scoring because you're looking at four or five hour matches, you know, that's Mm -hmm. just, that's not good either. So, um, it's, it was stuck between a rock and a hard place. You know, know. you ready Um, for
1: the one page. So I've, I heard there's a one pager floating around and it's a great idea. The simultaneous start. Four singles, one doubles, whatever it may be. You you play everything at once. And then, you know, the, the four and one, everything's worth one. To me, why that gets particularly entertaining is let's say the doubles finishes – opens up the opportunity for a substitution. How many times in a match have you been sitting there and been like, I made the wrong lineup choice today. Like, I wish I could sub this guy out. I think a substitution, you talk about no ad forcing guys to stay locked in and prepared and focused. Doesn't the addition of a substitution do that as well?
0: Yeah, that would... uh... (laughs) I wish
1: (laughs) listeners could see your face right now. They're just like, no.
0: I can't tell you how many times you're looking over there and yes, like you said, you're just pulling your hair and you're like, oh man, I only I could rewind a couple hours, you know, and make that change. Um, You know that, yeah, that would, that would put a, that would put a spin to it. Um, But I think then you're also, then you're going to bring in schools that maybe aren't as deep. And then it makes it a little bit more, you know, of a disadvantage because of the fact that you don't, you can't have as many people to choose from. Mm -hmm. Um, But I am, like I said, I would vote, you know, if if it comes to vote and it's anything to, to make the the game of tennis uh, more attractive to players and to the fans um, and somehow getting, like I said, you know, media coverage and getting them on TV because these guys, where they come from, their their life, you know, growing up to this point, like there are so many great things that uh, aren't exposed, um, that I, hmm. that I think we're not, you know, we could still capture.
1: Yeah, no. My last two for you would be get rid of the coin toss. We can do better. One point, head coach versus head coach, drop and hit. Winner decides the serving arrangements on every coach. I know you're in on that i'd be in on that one for sure
0: yeah. <laughs> it would make me practice a lot more than i already am but i think you would have a lot of coaches that would uh yeah plus would it, enjoy that aspect
1: you lose three in a row you're telling me you know stice isn't coming up to you and saying coach on the line like what is going on right now get yeah. you get yeah, the they, act
0: together that's right they they get video out and make me start yeah. <laughs> watching video of myself and why we're not being successful like i do to them
1: <laughs> they bring out the 08 wimbledon film they're like we need this bobby reynolds on court okay we, this is I what mean, we they, need
0: yeah, they try to find any videos of me just getting absolutely pummeled and, like, come back and say, what 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 happened here? Why would you do this? You know, that's low percentage. And I'm like, D- I say do as I say, not as I did, you yeah. know?
1: No, you're like, I, I failed so that you can succeed. That's what it is every time. That's I right. love it. The other one would be, and I actually think this would be legitimate, a 90-second timeout. You in middle of a match, you get to call your one timeout. You bring everyone in at 90 seconds. The trade off is we're, you know, we're clamping down on bathroom breaks, we're clamping down on set breaks, but each coach gets a 90 second timeout.
0: Yeah, I like that. I do. Yeah. I, I, w- I would be on that for, for sure, even if it's a 60 second, you know, just where you can literally rattle them up a little bit and be like, well, we, yeah. yeah, like you said, we're coming out flat. We're already flat. Look at the score, yada, 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 you know, like, um, let's go.
1: Let's go. Let's get it back together.
0: No, I'm in. I
1: completely agree with you. Well, then my last question for you, and I'm not going to lie. I'm indulging myself here because I got to sneak one in. In my mind, the 2011 NCAA men's final between USC and Virginia, Daniel Wynn, the diving volley, whatever. He beat Sonam in the third to clinch. That's my best match in in my college tennis history. Why am I wrong? And the answer is the 03 final.
0: Oh, man, that's a tough uh, That's a tough question. You know, I would say what hurts the most probably about my 0-3 final, um, and I joke with the guys, is, you know, I wonder if that was one of the only teams, Illinois, that was undefeated at the time, you know, all regular mm-hmm. season going into the tournament. Maybe back with the old Stanfords, I would think, back with the gold seeds if they had probably some undefeated 98 teams.
1: 98 Stanford dropped two points all year, which is just like, come on.
0: Okay, yeah, that's, I mean, I remember back, though, though that was the, the all-star team of (laughs) all-star teams um where we got ourselves honestly we were in a position we were up 3-1 with three matches in Mm -hmm. third sets Mm -hmm. you know like i'd love to know what the odds are the percentages are that we lose that match Mm. you know obviously it's 100 percent because we lost but like (laughs) back in the day if we can rewind and it just yeah that i would say that you know in athens um you have a cinderella team like us i think we're seeded whatever 14, 13, I mean, I had no chance of getting to the finals. We beat UCLA in the semis and down a couple different match points, um, team match points, receiving, you know, and then all of a sudden to put ourselves at 3-1 um, only to to not get it. So um, it hurts, but, you know, I always look back and I say, look, you know, that was an unbelievable experience, unbelievable run for us. And uh, memories, again, win or lose that, you know, will take on forever. So.
1: If you could replay, re-coach any match, pro or college, is that the one you
0: pick from your career? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no I would question. definitely replay that one, and you know, some of the change up, some tactics that I saw in yeah. the third set with those last three matches that you're like, no, you know. Yeah. Um, so, but it, yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's fun to reminisce back on on those days. Mm-hmm. That Illinois team though, sneaky
1: good. Like when you look back, I mean, Delic Rom as a top two, you take that top two historically against just about anyone.
0: Yeah, and then you you had Brian Wilson who was in there who was unbelievable. You had Michael Calkins that played at five, and I don't think he lost a match the entire year at five. Mm -hmm. Um, You had, you know, Phil Stolt who could just bomb serve. You had a lot of just big, big players, Mm -hmm. Um, obviously very, very good juniors, and a lot of them that went on to play professional Mm -hmm. um, on that team. And uh, it was kudos to obviously Coach Tiley and, you know, everything that he built up there Mm -hmm. um, that's now continued
1: would he give you a little shoulder bump in Australia whenever you'd pass him and go, Hey, what's up, Bobby?
0: Well, the funny thing is that you asked, like for me, it was coming down. My choices were between Illinois and, and Vanderbilt. Okay. Um, and I really, really wanted to go to Illinois and I didn't have professional tennis aspiration at the time. So my coach actually guided me towards Vanderbilt. So it's, mm-hmm. it's fitting that we play them in the finals and then, you know, the results are what they are. So, um, yeah. No, that just tells say, me everything
1: works out for a reason. Yeah, it just tells me Bruce Burke didn't do a good enough job recruiting you. That's that's happening no, no,
0: right there. It yeah. yeah. was a tough decision for me. I'll tell you that much.
1: No, I love to hear it. I, my last question, I guess, is the game is deep now, or is it deeper now than it was then? Because you look at some of those teams. I think at the top it might be similar, but I feel like you know Auburn, your version of Auburn last year it kills whoever the equivalent of your team was in 2003
0: yeah i just, i I think it's way deeper now, you know, yeah. like you said, I think the uh, the worldwide you know mm-hmm. um draw that we have is is much greater than it was twenty years ago. Um, and yeah, like you say, you still have the top guys that are you know at the same level and um you know you put the let's say the Draxels against you know some of the guys back there. I think you know you're talking about that same level, but the sixth guy on such and such team is way tougher now than it was you know 20 25 years ago
1: yeah the exception is alex kim who played five for the 98 <laughs> stanford team which is just like come right. on like right. what are we doing here goldstein's like yeah you know I'm, i was probably three singles like i probably should have been playing three and it's like what
0: well, were you yeah. in the world um and yeah. so it's just, it was like hall of famer hall of famer hall of famer hall of famer hall of
1: famer hall. Like- <laughs> yeah, exactly um uh, but all right with all that said coach was an absolute pleasure getting you on the show for the first time. Obviously, looking forward to watching you and your team compete in 2022. Wishing you guys success and health and, of course, happy holidays to you and your family.
0: Oh, same to you. And we appreciate uh, college tennis appreciates everything that you do to uh, promote our game and, and continue to you know try and put it on the map the best we can. So thanks for everything you do and the hard work.
1: I appreciate it, Coach. Take care.
0: All right. Bye-bye.